Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. First and foremost, we must understand that the biblical feasts are a time of personal providence. This means this is a time when God is going to work in your lives individually. How many of you want an individual miracle from God? You need God to come into your life in your personal area, personal time in your life. Let us look and see this particular feature brought out in the Feast of Rosh Hashanah. Now I'm taking this uh, text from Numbers. The biblical feasts are listed for us in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, in Deuteronomy, also other books in the Bible. The biblical feasts in Genesis are found in the creation story. The biblical feasts in, uh, in Exodus are found in the 23rd chapter and the 34th chapter. The biblical feasts in Leviticus are given to us in segments of seven. And the biblical feasts in Numbers are also given to us in segments of, uh, in, in comprehensive listing. And also in Deuteronomy, about how to celebrate the biblical feasts in the promised land. Looking at Numbers 29, verse 1, the Bible says, And this seventh month, and in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall do no servile work. Now watch this last line. It is a day of the blowing of the trumpets, for you. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, it's a day of the blowing of the trumpets for you. Say for you. Personal providence. Say for you. All right. Now I'm going to tell you why this is so spiritually significant. The day of the blowing of the trumpets for you. I want you to see that one of the ways that we see what scripture means and what the author's intent is, is when we find one phrase in one part of the Bible and we see this phrase throughout the Bible. All right. So we know that for you is inserted here. It's not listed in the Leviticus version of Rosh Hashanah, but it is specifically listed in the numbers version of Rosh Hashanah. So where have we heard these words for you before? Let's go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And we usually see this as a tithing scripture, and it is. But it is more of a divine providence scripture than it is a tithing scripture. I want you to see divine providence. Say it with me, divine providence. Notice what it says. Um, we're going to look at verse 10. Okay. Um, Verse 11, uh, no, verse 10, second part. Uh, the Bible says, prove me now herewith, if I will not open, say it with me, for you, for you, the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. Notice this word for you again. For you is now we, we are understanding that the concept of for you also involves 
heaven's windows opening. It has to do with God's interaction with you. It has to do with personal providence. Let us look at another text that shows us for you. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2. When the biblical calendar was first being given as a commandment to the B'nai Israel, to the children of Israel, when this commandment was first given, it was uh, given specifically with the purpose of it being for you. For you is said twice in the text. Notice, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. Set with, with me, unto you. The beginning of months. So here we see this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. So we understand, again, we have unto you, don't we? Notice the second part of the verse. It says, it shall be the first month of the year to what? You. Say it again. To you. So we have this stress, this, this emphasis on it being for you. So what does that actually mean? We have this in all the biblical feasts. We have the biblical feast. For example, let me give you the demonstration on Day of Atonement. I'm look, we're looking at for you. That's what I want you to see. I want you to see the feature that God has designed the biblical feast for you. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. For a time of personal providence. Sit with me. For a time of personal providence. Let us look at the scripture and see this. We are seeing this very clearly. Looking at the word of God, Leviticus chapter 27, looking at verse 10. Let us look at, uh, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 23, looking at verse 27. I want you to see Leviticus 23, verse 27. The Bible says, hallelujah. And the Bible says, and in the 10th day of this seventh month, this is Leviticus 23, 27. This is the biblical feast of Yom Kippur. And in the 10th day of this seventh month, you, it, it shall be a day of atonement for you. Let us look at this, please, at um, verse 27. We're in verse 20. Right now we are in verse 24. We want verse 27. Um, let us read it. Yes. Also on the 10th day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement, a holy convocation. What? Unto you. We have it again, don't we? Unto you. So why do we have this unto you continuously throughout all the scriptures concerning the biblical feasts? Because first of all, God wants us to understand personal providence. The way that we say personal providence in Hebrew is ashkaha pratis. Say it with me, ashkaha pratis. That means individual watching, but it means much more than that. You see, beloved saints, when you understand God's personal care for you, this is what it means. It means God personally cares for you. He knows what you personally need. He knows what 
you personally desire. He knows your personal, everything in your life that is so intimate, personal, your personal needs. You need a miracle with your child. You need a miracle. Um, maybe, you know, with something that you have to have for a wedding and you don't have what you need for the wedding. Let me give you a, an, an example of personal providence. All right. Just so you know, many years ago, but way many years ago in the 1970s. Okay. When I was first starting out in ministry and I was penny pinching very bad because I was using all my everything. I, I didn't have breath of the spirit. I was serving in a ministry. And that ministry was very far away from my house. It was in Long Beach and I lived in Orange County. All right. And um, in those days, I had a very strict budget and someone invited me very prominent in the church that I served in. They were elders in the church and they were very prominent people. And they invited me to be in the wedding of their daughter. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's such an honor. But I didn't have the money for the dress to be in the wedding. That was really, it was $50. In those days, that was like $250, $300. I don't know. I was in my 20s. And I didn't have an extra $50. And I just lifted it up to the Lord and said, Jesus, I have to be in this wedding. Um, her last name was Arena. I have to be in Sister Arena's wedding. And I don't have the $50 to buy the coral dress that we're supposed to have to be in the wedding. Do you know? I opened my Bible. And do you know what was inside of it? $50. God is my witness. God is my witness. God is my witness. I opened it up and there it was. Why, beloved saints? Because that's what you call personal providence. You see? Personal providence. He will take care of you. You see, personal providence leads us to the understanding of God on another level. Do you know this attribute of, this holy attribute of omniscience? Say it with me, omniscience. What is omniscience? Omniscience is, omniscience is best described in Psalm 134. It's the all-knowingness of God. He knows everything. So it's not just a general knowledge that he has about everybody. It is a personal knowledge that he has about you, and it describes for us when we understand the omniscience of God, we cannot understand Ashkaha Pratis unless we understand the omniscience of God who, who knows everything. Psalm 139 is going to tell us about this powerful omniscience. Psalm 139 begins, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know my down-sitting and my uprising. Notice this. You understand my thought afar off. So that means before you ever think your thought, God already understands it. And God already knows what's on your heart. You didn't even ask him. But he knows what the burdens are. You see, he knows what you're troubled about. He knows what you're carrying. And the biblical feast is the time that God says this is going to be 
be for you. Specifically on Rosh Hashanah, the trumpet is going to sound for you personally, not just for the congregation. Hello, somebody, are you with me? Say it is a day of the blowing of the trumpets for you. So that means personal providence. That means whatever you need, whatever you're asking God for, it is a time. The biblical feasts, notice all these biblical feasts, the calendar, Yom Kippur, all of the biblical feasts for you is brought into it because this is a time when God looks forward to that intimacy with you. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. It's as if heaven says, oh, that they would be mine as they are in the feasts all the time. That you would give yourself to God all the time the way you give yourself to God during the biblical feasts. So you need to know you know my uprising. You know my downsitting. You understand my thought afar off. Look at the next verse. You can pass uh, you, my path, and you are acquainted with all my ways. The next verse. There is not a word in my tongue that you do not know it all together. That means God knows every word that's coming out of your mouth, everything that you need, every sigh that you have in your heart heart, every burden that you're carrying. God knows about it. And so for you means this is a feast for you individually. Can I get a witness somewhere? Now, let me just tell you, I've, we've been teaching on the biblical feast for some time now. And we didn't always teach on the biblical feast. It, it was a process. When we began to study Torah, we didn't immediately start teaching on the biblical feast. It was many years afterward. And I'm going to tell you what I've noticed. What I've noticed is a change. I've noticed it's very difficult in the last few years for God's people to connect with the biblical feasts. It was easier five years ago, six years ago. And I asked the Lord, why? What's going on? You see, many of us have our connections, the connections that we make in this earth, in an insular way. By that I mean, many of us have our intimate connections through social media. That is the actual only way that we can relate to our intimate relationship. Somebody that is close to us, somebody that's our friend on Facebook, somebody that's our friend that we know on social media. So we connect that way. But that is a very insular way of connecting. It's not real connection. It's networking, but it's not connection. So we have a a, a whole culture of individuals that are losing connection with people and they're losing connection. And it's very difficult to connect to somebody that is going to take care of you, somebody that loves you, 
somebody that knows you thoroughly, somebody that has promised that they will never let you go, somebody that promises you that when you sit down, they know when you're sitting down, when you rise up, they know what you're doing, that they know your every word on your tongue, they understand you and love you so deeply. That is your heavenly father, and that is what he wants to bring to you during the biblical feast. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So we've got this insular world that society is living in, and it escalated during COVID because people had no other way of communicating except through social media. So we've become, our world is the social media world. But it's not a real world. It's not the world of human beings. It's not the world of connection. It's the world of network, but it's not the world of connection. And you see, God is saying unto you, I want this Rosh Hashanah to be personal providence unto you. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Somebody ought to give God the praise. All right. So the, that is the first thing we need to understand. Now, the second thing we need to understand about Rosh Hashanah is that Rosh Hashanah, let's go to Leviticus chapter 23. Rosh Hashanah, beloved saints, as we see in Leviticus chapter 23, I'm going to show you one of the secrets of all the biblical feasts, and if we don't understand the concept of this, we're going to miss our blessing on Rosh Hashanah. Notice it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These concerning the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Notice, verse 3, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh is a Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. And the Bible says you will do no work therein. Notice the first feast that is being listed and featured is what? Is what? Seventh day. Is what? The Sabbath. All right. Now, I want you to understand that all the biblical feasts have the Sabbath in them. Even when it's not a Sabbath, the Bible says you will have a Sabbath. So that means if it's Monday when the biblical feast begins, it is a Shabbat. You have to have a Sabbath. And why is that? What is the secret of the Sabbath in the biblical feast? If you do not know the secret of the Sabbath in the biblical feast, then the biblical feasts are not going to be as meaningful to you and as potent in their promise to you because we lack knowledge in it. Say this with me. I want every promise that God has for me. And I want to enter into the biblical feast with full possession of promises. Oh, I'm going somewhere with this. I want you to know I'm just laying out a foundation before we get prophetic. Okay, because I cannot get prophetic unless we have a foundation of God's word. All right. So we are seeing the first biblical feast that is featured is the Sabbath. 
It's one day on the seventh day. The second biblical feast that is featured is in verse six and in verse seven specifically, but verse six says on the 15th day of the same month, you shall have a feast of unleavened bread. And the Bible says seven days you will eat unleavened bread. Notice it's seven days. Go to verse 15. In verse 15, you will see that there is now, it goes from one Sabbath day, then it goes to a week of seven days, which is a, which is a week, seven days. Then the third one is the feast of weeks, which is a feast of seven weeks. Then we see the seventh month. Say this with me, seven, seven, seven. Say sevens everywhere. Seven in the form of one day, which is the seventh day. Seven in the form of one week, which is a seven-day cycle. Seven in the, in the form of seven weeks. And seven in the form of the seventh month. Seven in the form of the seventh month. Say this with me. Every time slot where there is seven, a seven, a, a, an allocated seven, an allocated seven in biblical time, there's a blessing. Now, oh, you got to understand what's happening. Okay. First, I'm going to tell you what it is not. It is not superstition. So don't say, wow, we got, I got, well, look at seven days. Wow, this is going to happen to me because it's my seventh day and it's my lucky day. That is a sin. You know why? Because it is tampering with superstition and luck. That is not the way this works at all. You know, we went to China many years ago. And when I was there in the 90s, I was noticing, I was with my, one of my assistant, my dear assistant, Stacy, and we noticed the buses, they all had sevens, and they, they just, the phone number was, how did they get a phone number, seven, 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 or another phone number, eight, 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 and, and I couldn't understand it, and someone told us. They bought it because they believe it was a lucky number, and it cost millions of dollars in China to have a bus with a lucky number. Is that what this is? Something cheap? Something something superstitious? It has nothing to do with superstition. It has nothing to do with something cheap. It has nothing to do with luck. It has nothing to do with any kind of superstitious practice. Seven in the scriptures must be understood exegetically. Say it with me, exegetically. exegetically. That means we have to do biblical exegesis on the word. And when we study the word, we will see other words that have the same root of the word in it. And it gives us the biblical meaning of seven. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. Okay, so I'm going to tell you the biblical, not the biblical word for seventh, not seven, but seventh, the seventh. Say it with me, seventh. seventh. Say it with me, seventh. 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 
The seventh in line, David was the seventh child of Jesse. Okay, uh, the seventh month is Rosh Hashanah. Are you with me? Are you getting somewhere? Are you starting to understand? Okay, this word seventh in Hebrew is the word Shebiyi. Can you say it? Shebiyi. Say it. Okay, Shebiyi has a tremendous, powerful root in it. One of the ways we find out what Hebrew words mean is we have to evaluate the root word inside the word. This is because the Hebrew language is the most definitive language that ever was because it was the Loshen HaKadosh. It's the word that God used to create the heavens and the earth. Bible says God said, he said it 10 times, didn't he? Bible says God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be a firmament to divide the waters from the waters. And God said, let the waters be gathered into one place. It was a language God used, didn't he? said God said, didn't say God thought, it didn't say God moved, it said God what? Said. All right, so if he spoke, what language did he use? The same language that he wrote the Ten Commandments with. He used he biblical Hebrew. Okay, so therefore, the words that are chosen in the Bible to express what God is teaching, Remember, the Bible doesn't tell us things. The Bible teaches us things. When you read a narrative, you're not being, you are not being told a narrative. You are being taught something in that narrative. All right. So when we see a word in scripture, it's not just chosen at random because the author didn't have another word to, to describe. He's not going to put a loan word into a sentence, just pick out a word that sounds nice. So they're going to put a loan word in if they need a, to fill it up. No, every single word was selected from Shemayim, from heaven. That means every word that is in the Bible was God breathed. It was selected from God. So that means that it's a choice word that God used to express a certain thought. So therefore, thoughts are not at random and words are not random words. So when you see the word shebiyi, you understand one of the ways we have to understand every Hebrew word has multiple meanings. And it is written to express something more than just the way we communicate in English. If I say that's a chair, that's all it is, is a chair. It doesn't have a concept behind it. But every Hebrew word has a concept behind it. So how do you know the concept of the seventh? Where do we get the concept? From looking at the root. Say it with me. From looking, From looking. at the Hebrew root. Okay. So we're looking at the stem, the root of the word shebiye. And this would be the same root as Shabbat. Hmm. The same root as the Sabbath is the same root as the seventh. And there are other words related to the root that have the same root. So when there are other words that have the same root, it means that there are multiple meanings to the seventh. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. 
The first meaning of the seventh that I want to bring to you, dear people of God, is this, the, the Sabbath itself. It is the word Shabbat. And I want you to understand that Shabbat or Sabbath means for something to come to an end. Say it with me, to come to an end. Say this with me. The Sabbath is at the end of the week. Did you know that in the seventh month, God is bringing some things to an end in your life? It is a time that things are coming to an end. That means God is actually closing out some chapters and he's opening new chapters. That is the anointing of the seventh. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Let me give you an example of that. Go with me very quickly. We're going to take a quick sidebar. So get your seatbelt on. It's not going to, we're not going to park here. Uh, Second Kings chapter eight. I want you to see how things come to an end. Sit with me. Things come to an end. That could be, that could be in a very negative sense. Some storms come to an end. Things come to an end. Trials come to an end. God is saying an expiration on your tribulation. We see that expressed in the book of Genesis in the seventh month when Noah's ark rested. But the Bible says, then Elisha spoke unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, arise, go with you and your household and sojourn wherever you can sojourn, because the Lord has called a famine upon the land and it will be how many years? Seven years. But say this with me. As soon as seven is up, it comes to an end. Uh-huh. Now watch. And it says, and the woman arose, and she did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household. And she dwelt in the land of the Philistine how many years? Seven years. Notice. And it came to pass at the seven-year end. See, there's an ending to certain seasons in our life. This was a season that she was driven out of her land. It was a season of a famine. She survived the famine. But God said, your season is shifting after seven. I don't know if you heard me. I said, God said, your season is shifting after seven. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. If you receive it, then you just got it. If you didn't receive it, it passed you by. And so we see, beloved saints, look at the word. It says it came to pass at the end of seven years that a woman returned out of the land of the Philistines and she went to cry unto the king both for her house and her land. The season of being in the land of the Philistines was over. God shifted a season in by means of the seventh. God wants you to know, saints of God, that your season is going to shift in the seventh. The seventh is a time that things come to an end. Are you hearing this? Are you getting ready for Rosh Hashanah? Hallelujah. Notice, as we are looking, 
and continuing. I want you to see, go with me to Genesis chapter 8. I want you to see. Moses is going to do something about the seventh. He's going to tell us, you know, Noah had been in the ark for quite a while. It rained 40 days and 40 nights, but as soon as the rain stopped, doesn't mean Noah was in a good place. The whole earth was flooded with water. It was all destroyed. The ark, after 40 days, after it had rained 40 days and 40 nights, was now on top of the water, and the waters covered the whole earth. And it was a season of great test. But look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, and the ark rested in what month? Seventh month. I said the ark rested in what month? Seventh month. I said the ark rested in what month? Seventh and what day? Seventeenth day of the month. You see, everything had to be seven in order to express a type of rest after the test. God is saying to some of you, you have been in this long season of testing, just like the woman at Shunem. It was seven years in the land of the Philistines, but the Bible says at the end of the seven years, she returned back to her land, and she went to claim her land, her house. And the Bible tells us if we go back to 2 Kings, we will understand that the king heard this woman. And you know what he did? He restored seven years of fruits in one day to be returned to her. Somebody ought to say restoration after devastation. devastation. Somebody should praise God. A second word, a second word related to Shebi, to the seventh, and to the, the Sabbath, because they both have the same stem, both have the same root. The word shobar. What is shobar? Shobar means to break. Some things are about to break. God wants you to know, hallelujah, shobar. Things are about to break. Now, shobar is also used in the giving of birth. This is why at Rosh Hashanah, you see so many miracle births. You see that Isaac was born on Rosh Hashanah, and Samuel was born and conceived, actually conceived on Rosh Hashanah. Why? Because it was miraculous. Do you realize that Shobar means there is going to be some miraculous births in your life? God is getting ready for you to birth out some dreams and some destinies. Somebody ought to say Shobar. My God is saying Shobar is your word for Rosh Hashanah. God is saying some things are going to be birthed out, my dear that you've never seen before in God. God is saying, oh God, about you've been so faithful in the trial. 
You've been so faithful in the test, but God is saying this is your word. He said, hold on to it. Hold on to it, my daughter. Hold on to Shobar because it's going to break and you are going to birth out new destiny for my glory. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody should shout the victory and give God the praise and give God the glory. So this word, shobar, hallelujah, this means to break out of the burden, to birth out something, hallelujah. Also to break out of bondage. I said to break out of bondage. How many people need some stuff broken out of bondage? You need your word broken out of bondage. You need your destiny broken out of bondage. You need your children broken out of bondage. You need God to break some stuff. Hallelujah. You need, hallelujah, the desire of your heart. Let me give you an example. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 15 says, and if your brother, I'm just taking this out of context to demonstrate to you, Shebiye, the seventh. And if your brother, a Hebrew, man or woman, be sold unto thee six years, in the seventh year he shall go free. Say this with me. In the seventh year he shall go free. Say this with me, freedom in the seventh. Breaking bondage in the seventh. Say this with me, hallelujah, shobar, break it off. Break the bondage, break it off. Break some heavy things, hallelujah. Somebody should praise God. And we also have another word related to Shebiyi, Shebiyi and Shabbat, the same Hebrew root. We are seeing the Hebrew word, Shobah. Shobah almost sounds like Shobar, doesn't it? But it's Shobah. And Shobah is a word that means plenty. It means overflow. I don't know about you, but I'm getting ready for some Rosh Hashanah overflow. Rosh Hashanah overflow, that's why the whole month has to be separated and consecrated to God. God is saying not just one day, God is saying the seventh month. Somebody ought to say feast after feast in the seventh month. Somebody should give God the praise and give God the glory. Also, we have the Hebrew word Shabbat. Say with me, Shabbat. Okay, this word Shabbat is a very important word because this word Shabbat is a word that actually means to swear an oath. Okay, to share an oath, to swear an oath. In other words, it speaks of possession of promises that God has promised you by his word. And if he promised it by his word, he swore by it. God doesn't just say, well, I, I, I'm promising you, but I'm changing my mind. If you have fulfilled, usually promises are rewards. I said promises are rewards. Many promises fall in the categories of rewards. 
Bible says, honor your father and your mother. Ephesians, Paul said, this is the only commandment with a promise. Just using that as an example. Promise. That there are promises that God gives to us. But some promises are just promises. Because they're based on the merit. For example, the promises given to Abraham, his descendants don't have to do anything to receive them. They're just based on God's faithfulness to Abraham. And they have already received it because an inheritance was laid up for his descendants because he paid the price. Because all his reward was Zehut Avot for his descendants. So on Rosh Hashanah, because this is a day that when it's a blowing of the shofar for you, God remembers what Abraham did on the Akita. And so that means for you, you're going to get some major breakthroughs. For you, not because of anything you did, not because of anything you had done, but because God made a faithful promise and he swore an oath to Abraham. Are you with me? Possession of promises. Say it with me, possession of promises. The seventh month is the month of Sheba, the month of promises. Notice the Bible says in Exodus 6, verse 8, I'll just quote it to you quickly. I will bring you into the land which I did swear to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so that we understand the supernatural similitude of Sheba. We must understand that this Possession of promises is literal in the sense that when Joshua went into the promised land, it was divided into what? Seven parts. Let's look just for a moment at Joshua 18. Joshua chapter 18 verse 9 says, And the men went and passed through the land and described its cities in seven parts. The land of Israel was bequeathed to the inhabitants, to the children of Israel, in seven parts. Why seven? Why not five? Why not three? Notice how God planned it all. He could have had the whole territory, 12 tribes, all in one parcel of land, but he didn't. Okay. On the other side of the Jordan, which is the east side of the Jordan, you have Manasseh, Manasseh got two portions. Manasseh got a double destiny. Okay, but Manasseh has land on the east side of the Jordan, and Reuben has land on the east side of the Jordan, and Gad has land on the east side of the Jordan, some of the land. So we have Reuben, Manasseh, even though we do have in that area that area of the Gadarenes, that was also territory of Gad, that stretched down, but the primary part was on the other side of the Jordan. Okay, why did God do that? Because he wanted Israel proper to be seven divided by seven. Because why? It represents promise, represents oath, it represents God's faithfulness to perform what he's promised you. Are you with me? Yes. And 
And when Joshua came into the promised land, what happened? God said, you're going to get seven priests with seven shofars. And the very first city you are going to surround every day for seven days, you're going to walk around the city. And on the seventh day, you are going to take those shofars and you're going to circle the city seven times. And on the seventh time, you are going to blow the shofar and the walls will come down. Why seven? Not because of anything, but because God swore it. Are you with me? Say this with me on Rosh Hashanah. Every promise God has given me, I am claiming and activating. I am activating the anointing of Rosh Hashanah this moment. I will not in any way, shape, or form lag during this season, but I receive full inheritance to be empowered with the power of Rosh Hashanah faith in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on and give God the praise. Somebody ought to shout the victory. We're getting ready to shout right now. Now, beloved saints, as we get ready to stand on our feet, it is so important for all these promises. They're so monumental. We can't just sit back and wait for them to happen. That is not the way we possess promises. We have to go up and possess the promises. Say, I'm going up in this month of Elal. I'm going up. Going up to the next level. I'm going up. We don't want you to miss what God has. In the context, he's going to show bar. He's going to break some stuff. Show bar, you're going to birth out some stuff. Shabbat, things are going to stop. He's going to bring an expiration to your tribulation. Hallelujah. He's going to bless you so exceedingly. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Shabbat, God tonight has sworn an oath. An oath. Actually, in Hebrew, you can say, seven me. Seven me means write your signature. Because the word seven is Sheba, just a little different than Shaba. Just a vowelization that is different. It's spelled the same. To seven means to sign it right here. Seven me on it. God said, I've already sevened you on all the promises. God said, I've swore it by oath. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, 
H-E-S-E-D to 7797. That's Hesed, C-H-E-S-E-D to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.